Welcome back to Mark's Mutton <laughs> We are doing it. We are doing it again for the last time. Doing it again. We're going to keep doing it beyond this time. This is not the last, last time, but uh, this is for anyone that followed along week to week. This should be a monument. For anyone that binged this, this should be a monument because this is the end of Black Reconstruction in America. This is the end of an era. Two physical years of David and I's life has, is culminating <laughs> into in this work. Has been poured into this work. Um, Just reading it. I can't imagine the work that that W.B. Du Bois had to put into this. Just uh, reading that, it took us two years. Reading it took us two years. Again, it was a, this has been a labor of love. This has been something that both me and David have, I, I, I of all the works we've read, Again, it's incredible to me, considering we've read Capital, considering we've read Imperialism, we've read State and Rev, we've read so many foundational works. Um, this this work has has come at such a, uh, a crazy point in our lives, and such a crazy time in everyone's lives, and has been so poignant to the American situation, at least, to all of our international listeners, <laughs> to all of our international listeners. I just appreciate you hanging on through work that is so America <laughs> American centric. Um, yeah. Again, we do not see we we don't put America on a pedestal. This is not done because we you know we think America is a unique situation. Um, but of of you know we had got to this work and this was important and this is something that is so uniquely American um, during the elections during everything else that this has been a. It's been a fucking ride. It's been a ride, and I am thankful to every single person that has has joined us for that ride. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll get to all of this at the end, but uh, but again, just just up a top. Thank you, thank you, everyone that's been with us throughout this work. Um, this has been a long time, and this has been a lot. Um, and I appreciate all of you that have have joined us for that journey. That being said, as we usually do when we start an episode on a new week, when me and David aren't recording to it one time. Which, come yeah. on, that doesn't happen all that often. Let's be real. Uh, <laughs> it used to happen. It, uh, no, it didn't. You you keep we saying would, that. We'd, we'd record to it once, and then we'd skip a week, and then we'd record to it. it, was, it we were that was when you were in the pod cave. That was before that, the dark times. That was true. That was. I like how not being in the closet under the stairs is the dark times. The closet but. under the stairs is a safe place, David. All right? It's where we feel comfortable. <laughs> And now you've got your own setup at home. We're all different. It's all this. Uh, it's all. It's all. I'm in a different. large, dark, cold basement. Yeah, yeah. I'm it in a small, dark, cold. I'm in a small, dark, hot basement. You know, it's just, it's just different things for the same thing. Uh, that all being said, David, let's start out like we usually do with uh, current events. Any current uh, events that are percolating? Yeah. So, um, I mean, pertinent current events. The the biggest one I could think is it sounds like there's, and this shouldn't be shocking. Um, ahead of the November 7th election in Nicaragua, which, of course, you know, it looks like um, the uh, uh, Sandinistas will win handily, um, as they should. And, and that should surprise nobody. Um, the U.S. is preparing to start screaming election fraud and whatnot, kind of kind of back to the old OAS playbook. So be on the lookout for that. There will be hordes of bullshit there. Um, and so just be geared up, gather information, sift through sources, be ready to debunk that shit. Um, and, you know, it's sand in solidarity with the, the Sandinistan revolution. So um, 
that's probably the biggest thing I could think of. Um, there, obviously, there was this. Yeah. Go there was it. an imperialist slap fight. Yeah, <laughs> oh, there it is. You Let's call it that. pissed off France. You yeah, pissed off the um, you pissed off the original that's... imperialists. Good work. Yes, yeah, you you pissed off the people that looked at like everyone with darker skin than them and went mine, like more than anybody. You know, you you pissed off the the ultimate ultimate um colonizers of the global south. They gave Portugal and Spain and England all big runs for their money and you pissed them off. Um, that's pretty bad, <laughs> but it's, it's all part of the, the cold war and the, the ramping up of, of things against China um, is, you know, of course there's uh, an agreement now where the U S has given Australia supposedly for defense, even though God only knows what they're defending against a nuclear submarine, basically just to, 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 put nuclear weapons on china's doorstep is the whole point we have so many so many nuclear submarines david it would be a shame if we didn't share them with the rest of the world yeah absolutely you know and and australia's out there they're just they're so defenseless they just they really need a nuclear submarine otherwise china might want to do trade with them and that's big bad scary i'm also pretty sure china's australia's trade partner and in spite of that the australian government and far right have been the loudest anti-China screamers of all the West settler colonies. Like the U.S. said jump and and Australia went didn't just go how high they went and tell you what I'll, I'll do double. I'll, I'll, I'll go full basketball dunk just because I can <laughs> like they just ramp it. Ramp they called Andrew. They called Andrew Bogut back up and went like, dude, can you still dunk? Do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so just rampant, rampant sinophobia has come out of australia for a few years um that's where you get a lot of these reports for the the aspi which is australia based but just happens to be sponsored by all of the u.s weapons manufacturers amazing how that works um and in spite of that australia still maintained being china's biggest trade partner which is kind of crazy and kind of shows you how much china wants peace and doesn't want all this squabbling and war and bullshit and the U.S. just grabbed Great Britain and went to Australia and went, cool, nuclear submarine. And even goddamn France went, yeah, fuck that. Um, <laughs> and so they're, they've got a little pissing match going on. But unfortunately, it's nothing important. France is not going to stop being imperialist over it. And China's not going to suddenly you know, collapse because one nuclear submarine's in Australia. Hold on. Hold on. Adrian Zenz told me. Yeah, that the yeah. coming, the end was coming for China. Uh, Isn't that uh, Gordon Chang's job? Like every five months, Gordon Chang's got a reason. To, his next one will be because of the power grid stuff. That it's that it's it's either Adrian or Gordon. It's one of the two, and they'll they'll figure it out one way or another. Yeah, yeah, and and for people that don't know, China, China is going away. I mean, they're still going to be. They're they're still most of their employees for a long time have been the employees in China, more than half have been Chinese state employees for a centralized planned economy that covers most of the country. But in some densely populated areas, there have been special regions that have, you know, freer markets in order to bring in Western investment. That's been the thing since Deng Xiaoping. And these Western markets have been more tightly regulated and shrank a little bit. And some of it's been accepted as state owned over the, so they're becoming even more 
decentralized lately. Um, you know, including some of the, the stuff we've talked about, like the panic over the, the gaming restrictions, even though they've also the gaming back restrictions, Evergrande, all of this stuff. You can you can absolutely yeah. see a, a I mean, G yeah. has absolutely been making a move towards more centralization versus exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and the tricky thing with that is a lot of the energy because they're wanting to go away from coal. And China's had, you know, energy problems off and on all, all the time for, for years. This is just something that happens when you're a developing country, even one that has gotten to be so big and such a powerful country as China and, and made so many advancements in the last 70 years. It's still a developing country. This is it's just so deeply colonized for so long that, it, you know, it has energy issues. And one way they're resolving it, but also going to their greener plan is to get off of coal. And one way they're doing that is they're actually going away from centralizing something and they're actually privatizing a a sector, but they're tightly, tightly restricting it. And in that process, something they kind of expected and and knew is there was going to be some energy shortages in Northeast China. And so I guarantee you that'll be the, the talking point, the coming crash of China thing next. Don't worry about that. It's a bunch of bullshit. China will be fine. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that, that whole nuclear submarine thing is crap, but unfortunately it's not gonna, it's not gonna cause enough of a rift, I think, between France and the U.S. to really shift any power dynamics. It's just kind of funny that they've been pissing off their other imperialist buddies. Yep. And you never love, imperialists pissing off imperialists is always going to be funny and it's never, it's just always going to be that way. So deal with it. Oh, it's, it's. Always going to be funny. It's always going to be funny. Um, and then the other current event uh, I can think of is Canada's coming up on this overly symbolic, and and we're gonna we're gonna do our our collaboration on Redskins White Masks and and which is specifically against representation politics and or not rep- not just representation recognition politics specifically. Um, so you know all the recognition and the reconciliation and all that right i mean that's that's stuff that in a materialistic fashion uh dr colthard pushes back very hard against and and is excellent so i'm excited for that work and canada's really personifying that extremely well now because they're starting this like truth and reconciliation day and it's it's even caused uh the the canadian you know catholic church to apologize for residential schools but there's been no actual actionable reconciliation. It's just been words. Canada is still beating the shit out of water protectors daily as we speak. You know, the Catholic Church is not giving land back or paying reparations to these families that have been destroyed or or trying to, you know, identify bodies and, and bring people closure. It's just meh, apology. And meanwhile, there's a bunch of bishops and priests still saying right wing shit about how the residential schools were good in the midst of the apology or at least within months before the apology and and no specific apology for those words or or moving of those priests away from those positions to get the pulpit there um so yeah i mean it's it's a bunch of shit but it's happening so there's that and that's why we read these works exactly that being said, we are going to read these works, and we're going to read this work for as long as it takes us this week. And that being said, we are starting at the bottom of page 723. 
Nearly all recent books on Reconstruction agree with each other in discarding the government reports and substituting selected diaries, letters, and gossip. Yet it happens that the government records are an historic source of wide and unrivaled authenticity. There is the report of the Select Committee of 15, which delved painstakingly into the situation all over the South and called all kinds and conditions of men to testify. There are the reports of Carl Schurz. Hey, bring him back, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, bring good. Him back. He's back. <laughs> Carl Schurz will ever. We, we have to. This this is the, the last episode of this book. We have to mention Carl Schurz. We have to talk about Carl Schurz. Carl Schurz is a recurring er, character. If we're not talking about early, all the, we're talking about all the characters say, by the end of this book. That's been our most. That's that's been our our greatest recurring character, right? We we had the the you know two time Daytona five hundred champion Jeff Davis, but he was gone after the war. We had but Carl Schurz, he had a whole character arc. We didn't know who he was. We learned he was good, and then we learned he was wordy, and then we learned he was good, and then we learned he was bad, and then we learned okay, well he's okay, but his long reports are this. He's had a whole development. He's had a whole arc. He has. <laughs> Car- the report of Carl Schurz in the 12 volumes of reports made on the Ku Klux conspiracy. I want to think that Carl Schurz wrote all of those 12 reports on the Ku Klux conspiracy. And above all, the Congressional Globe. None who has not read page by page the Congressional Globe, especially the sessions of the 30th Congress, can possibly have any idea of what the problem of Reconstruction facing the United States were in 1865 to 1866. Then there were the reports of the Freedmen's Bureau and the excessive and other documentary reports of government officials, especially in the war and Treasury Departments, which give the historian the only groundwork upon which he can build a real and truthful picture. There are certain historians who have not tried to deliberately to who have not tried deliberately to falsify this picture. Southern whites like Francis Bueller, Butler Lee and Susan Smendes, Smeds, 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 Smeds. Smeds, Smeds, Northern historians like McPherson, Oberholzer, and Nikolai, and Hay. There are foreign travelers like Sir George Campbell, George Clemenceau, and Robert Somers. There are the personal reminiscences of Augustus Beard, George Julian, George F. Hoare, Carl Schurz, again, Carl, getting in there. Again. And George Sherman. There are invaluable works of Edward McPherson and the more recent studies of Paul Hayworth, A.A. Taylor and Charles Wesley. Beale simply does not take Negroes into account in the critical year of 1866. Certain monographs deserve all praise, like those of Hendricks and Pierce. The work of Flack is prejudiced, but built on study. The defense of the carpetbag regime by Tourget and Allen, Powell and Clayton, Holden and Warmouth are worthy antidotes to certain writers. The lives of Stevens and Sumner are revealing, even when slightly apologetic because of the Negro. While Andrew Johnson, two-time Daytona 500 champion. No, no, you're getting Jeff Davis. I know, I know, Andrew. Oh, I want to get them all in say, there. You're... I want to get them all in there. While Andrew Johnson okay. is beginning to suffer I was from say, writers I... who are not trying to prove how seldom he got drunk and think that important. We're going to read that again. The lives of Stevenson Sumner are revealing, even when slightly apologetic because of the Negro. While Andrew Johnson is beginning to suffer from writers who are trying to prove how seldom he got drunk and think that important. <laughs> Which is... is 
kind of a weird apologism, right? He was not that much of an alcoholic. He wasn't that much of an alcoholic. Nathan looks, into the mi- Nathan looks into the microphone just questioningly. <laughs> He's, he, he, he was only a, a racist backstabbing drunk, not a racist backstabbing sloppy drunk. What is <laughs> what is this slander? It will be noted that for my authority in this work, I have depended very largely upon secondary material. Upon state histories of Reconstruction, written in the main by those who were convinced before they began to write that the Negro was incapable of government or of becoming a constituent part of civilized state. The fairest of these histories have not tried to conceal facts. In other cases, the black man has been ridiculed. If I had the time and money and opportunity to go back to the original sources in all cases, there can be no doubt that the weight of this work would have been vastly strengthened. And as I firmly believe, the case of the Negro more convincingly set forth. I love how Du Bois wants to more convincingly set forth the, the yeah. path of the Negro than what he did here he wrote, in this magnum opus. He wrote a 700-page book. But, you know, I wish I could have done this right and really dug in. And it's like, holy I, fuck, Du Bois. Holy fuck, Du Bois. Various volumes of papers in the great libraries, like the Johnson Papers in the Library of Congress, the Sumner Manuscripts at Harvard, the Schur's Correspondence, the Wells Papers, the Chase Papers, the Fessenden and Greenlee Collections, the McCullough, McPherson, Sherman, Stevens, and Trumbull Papers, all must have much of great interest to the historians of the American Negro. I have not had time nor opportunity to examine these, and most of those who have examined them have little interest in black folk. Negroes have I kind of like how he's going on for like four paragraphs here. There's like the primary sources are there. You should go check them. I wish I could get around to it myself. He's like basically telling you, go see for yourself how everything in this book is right and learn more. Exactly. Negroes have done some excellent work on their own history and defense. It suffers, of course, from natural partisanship and a desire to prove a case in the face of a chorus of unfair attacks. Its best work also suffers from the fact that Negroes with difficulty reach an audience, that Negroes with difficulty reach an audience. But this is also true of such white men writers as Skaggs and Bancroft, who could not get first class publishers because they were saying something that the nation did not like. The Negro historians began with autobiographies and reminiscences. The older historians were George W. Williams, Joseph T. Williams. The new school of historians is led by Carter G. Woodson. And I have been greatly helped by the unpublished theses of four of the youngest Negro students. It is most unfortunate that while many young white Southerners can get funds to attack and ridicule the Negro and his friends, it is almost impossible for first-class Negro students to get a chance for the research or to get finished work in print. David? I write then in a field devastated by passion and belief. Naturally, as a Negro... I could not do this writing without believing in the essential humanity of Negroes and their ability to be educated, to do the work of the modern world, to take their place as equal citizens with others. I could not for a moment subscribe to the bizarre doctrine of race that makes most men inferior to the few. But two, as a student of science, I want to be fair, objective, and judicial. And I really feel that too, because I... Like a paragraph ago, there was a sentence and I really thought about that because it talks... 
I like how he cited essentially the necessity. It makes me feel like when we talk about actual existing socialism, right? And people will talk about it as, as some sort of apologist. And, you know, he says it suffers, of course, from the natural partisanship and desire to prove a case in the face of a course of unfair attacks. And, you know, just as communists or as anti-racist or as, you know, anybody working in any sort of decolonial project, um, we face that ourselves, so we get it. And so I'm glad that Du Bois gives a space for that. Um, I hate to see it cited as a, as a vice, although it is an imperfection, but just not one we have to subject ourselves to within our circles. Exactly. So um, that's, of course, good. Um, so anyway, um, let's see, where was I? Here we go. To let no searing of the memory by intolerable insult and cruelty make me fail to sympathize with the human frailties and contradiction and the external paradox of good and evil. But armed and warned by all of this and fortified by long study of the facts, I stand at the end of this writing literally aghast at what American historians have done to this field. What is the object of writing the history of Reconstruction? Is it to wipe out the disgrace of a people which fought to make slaves of Negroes? Or is it to show that the North, I'm sorry, is it to show that the North had higher motives in freeing black men? Is it to prove that Negroes were black angels? No, it is simply to establish the truth on which right in the future may be built. We shall never have a science of history until we have in our colleagues men who regard the truth as more important than the defense of the white race and who will not deliberately encourage students to gather thesis material in order to support a prejudice and or buttress a lie. Three-fourths of the testimony against the Negro in Reconstruction is on the unsupported evidence of men who hated and despised Negroes and regarded it as a loyalty to blood, patriotism to country, and filial tribute to the fathers to lie, steal, or kill in order to discredit these black folks. This may be a natural result when a people have been humbled and impoverished and degraded to their own life. Uh, there we go. But what is inconceivable is that another generation and another group should regard this testimony as scientific truth when it is contradicted by logic and fact. This chapter, therefore, which in logic should be a survey of books and sources, becomes a sheer necessity in arraignment of American historians and an indictment of their ideals. With a determination unparalleled in science, the mass of American writers have started out to distort the facts of the greatest critical period of American history as to prove right wrong and wrong right. I am not familiar enough with the vast field of human history to pronounce on the relative guilt of these historians of the other times and fields. But I do say that if the history of the past has been written in the same fashion, it is useless as science and misleading as ethics. It simply shows that with sufficient general agreement and determination among the dominant classes, the truth of history may be utterly distorted and contradicted and changed to any convenient fairy tale that the masters of men wish. And I like how this is this is a lesson when looking historically at figures and nations of, of any kind, right? I mean, this should be the subject of Reconstruction and the Civil War, and we should focus on that, and we shouldn't break away from focusing on the history of our own situation when we're focused on liberation here again for, you know, assuming American listeners 
Um, obviously, many we know aren't. But our our own, you know, collapsing of empire and, and end of racism and decolonial struggle here um, and our fight for land back with the inclusion of uh, a new black Africa across the, the black belt. You know, we, we should focus on this. But also when you look across all American history and mythos, when you look out at all, you know, lambasted enemies, whether they're current enemies of the hour um, you know, of course, like China or historical enemies like USSR or historical figures like Stalin or Lenin or, you know, anything like that. This makes that so obvious, right, of of what it is and, and what we're dealing with and, and how that power and that historiography works. Yep. I cannot believe that any unbiased mind with an ideal of truth and scientific judgment can read the plain, authentic facts of our history during 1860 to 1880 and come to conclusions essentially different from mine. And yet I stand virtually alone in this interpretation. So much so that the very cogency of my facts would make me hesitate. Did I not seem to see plain reasons subtract from Burgess, his belief that only white people can rule. And he is in essential agreement with me. Remember that Rhodes was an uneducated moneymaker who hired clerks to find the facts which he needed to support his thesis, and one is convinced that the same labor and expense could easily produce quite opposite results. One fact and one alone explains the attitude of most recent writers towards Reconstruction. They cannot conceive Negroes as men. In their minds, the word Negro connotes inferiority and stupidity lightened only by unreasoning gaiety and humor. Suppose the slaves of 1860 had been white folk. Stevens would have been a great statesman, Sumner a great Democrat, and Schurz a keen prophet in a mighty revolution of rising humanity. Ignorance and poverty would easily have been explained by history, and the demand for land and the franchise would have been justified as the birthright of natural freemen. But Burgess was a slaveholder, dunning a copperhead, and Rhodes an exploiter of wage labor. Not one of them apparently ever met an educated Negro of force and ability. Around such impressive thinkers gathered the young post-war students from the South. They had been born and reared in the bitterest period of Southern race hatred, fear and contempt. Their instinctive reactions were confirmed and encouraged in the best of American universities. Their scholarship, when it regarded black men, became deaf, dumb, and blind. The clearest evidence of Negro ability, work, honesty, patience, learning, and efficiency became distorted into cunning, brute toil, shrewd evasion, cowardice, and imitation, a stupid effort to transcend nature's law. And this is, again, a major way propaganda works, right? You you have truth painstakingly shoved in your face and you just kind of flip tone, right? Um, you know, if someone does something good, some, something either just for, you know, more or less a cooperative gain, um, even if it's not altruism or they do something altru- altruistically, it's nefarious, it's sneaky, right? Uh, if someone, you know, um, is looking to uh, liberate themselves, right? They're 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 violent and, and greedy and selfish. Uh, it's it's all a matter of distorting tone. Exactly. For those seven mystic years between Johnson's swing round the circle and the Panic of eighteen seventy three, a majority of thinking Americans in the North believed in equal manhood of black folk, 
They acted accordingly with a clear-cut decisiveness and through logic. Utterly incomprehensible to a day like ours, which does not share this human faith, and to Southern whites, this period can only be explained by deliberate vengeance and hate. The Panic of 1873 brought sudden disillusion in business enterprise, economic organization, religious belief, and political standards. A flood of appeal from the white South reinforced this reaction. Appeal with no longer the arrogant bluster of slave oligarchy, but the simple moving annals of the plight of a conquered people. The resulting emotional and intellectual rebound of the nation made it nearly inconceivable in 1876 that ten years earlier, most of the men had believed in human equality. Assuming, therefore, as axiomatic the endless inferiority of the Negro race, these newer historians, mostly Southerners, some Northerners who deeply sympathized with the South, misinterpreted, distorted, even deliberately ignored any fact that challenged or contradicted this assumption. If the Negro was admittedly subhuman, what need to waste time delving into his Reconstruction history? Consequently, historians of Reconstruction, with a few exceptions, ignore the Negro as completely as possible, leaving the reader wondering why an element apparently so insignificant filled the whole Southern picture at the time. The only real excuse for this attitude is loyalty to a lost cause, reverence for brave fathers and suffering mothers and sisters, and fidelity to the ideals of a clan and class. But the propaganda against the Negro since emancipation in this land we face one of the most stupendous efforts the world ever saw to discredit human beings, an effort involving universities, history, science, social life, and religion. The most magnificent drama in the last thousand years of human history is the transportation of 10 million human beings out of the dark beauty of their mother continent into the newfound El Dorado of the West. They descended into hell, and in the third century they arose from the dead, and the finest effort to achieve democracy for the working mil millions which this world had ever seen. It was a tragedy that beggared the Greek. It was an upheaval of humanity like the Re Reformation and the French Revolution. And I'll, I'll pause real quick. I, I'm not sure how religious Du Bois is, but there was a, a little bit of a, a creed a, a appellation there. Um, um, it's... It's interesting to see um, when he, he talked about, you know, moving to the El Dorado of the West and he says they descended into hell and in the third century they arose from the dead. Um, and that, that just feels back like Apostle's Creed, like he descended into hell and the third day he rose again. Um, and so that's that's an interesting appeal to like them, them saving themselves and liberating themselves, um, you know, just kind of like their their own coming of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but that, that might just be me hearing that into it. No, go for it. Yet we are blind and led by the blind. We discern it in no part of our labor movement, no part of our industrial triumph, no part of our religious experience. Before the dumb eyes of 10 generations and 10 million children, it is made mockery of and spit upon a degradation of the eternal mother, a sneer at human effort with aspiration and art deliberately and elaborately distorted. And why? Because in a day when the human mind aspired to science of human action, a history and psychology of the mighty effort of the mightiest century, we fell under the leadership of 
those who would compromise with the truth in the past in order to make peace in the present and guide policy in the future. One reads the truer, deeper facts of Reconstruction with a great despair. It is at once so simple and human and yet so futile. No villain, no idiot, no saint. There are just men, men who crave ease and power, men who know want and hunger, men who have crawled. They all dream and strive with ecstasy of fear and strain of effort, balked of hope and hate. Yet the rich world is wide enough for all, once all, needs all. So slight a gesture, a word, might set the strife in order, not with full content, but with growing dawn of fulfillment. Instead roars the crash of hell. And after its whirlwind, a teacher sits in academic halls, learned in the tradition of its elms and its elders. He looks into upturned face of youth, and in him youth sees the gowned shape of wisdom and hears the voice of God. Cynically, he sneers at, and I'm not using the, the slur, xenophobic nope, slur, nope, or not using any of them. Uh, we're the not using any slurs. He says that the nation has changed its views in regard to the political relation of races and has at least virtually accepted the ideas of the South upon that subject. The white men of the South need now have no further fear that the Republican Party or Republican administrations will ever again give themselves over to the vain imagination of the political equality of man. Immediately in Africa, a black back runs red with the blood of the lash. In India, a brown girl is raped. In China, a, I'm sure that's a slur, starves. Yeah. In Alabama, seven darkies, are that even feels gross to read, are more than lynched. While in London, the white limbs of a prostitute are hung with jewels and silk. Flames of jealous murder sweep the earth, while brains of little children smear the hills. This is education in the 1935th year of the Christ. This is modern and exact social science, and this is university course in History 12, set down by the Senatus Acad Academicus. Ad quos hey literae, this is all very, very Latin for me to try to read, pervenerent salutum in domino separantinum. In and, Babylon. Uh, I will let Nathan take away this poem to end this last chapter. I will take this away. In Babylon, dark Babylon, who take this wage of shame? The scribe and singer one by one that toil for gold and fame. They grovel to their master's mood. The blood upon the pen assigns their souls to servitude. Yield and the souls of men. George Sterling in the mask in the marketplace from selected poems used by permission by Harry Robertson, Redwood city, California pop the fucking bottles. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> hold on. Hold I, did, on. Wait, I didn't, I didn't have any champagne on me. Hold on. Oh, look it? at you. I, yeah, yeah. There you go. We there got you it. Go. Ladies and gentlemen, we have done it. We, we have, have accomplished the unaccomplishable. We have read word for word Black Reconstruction in America by W.E.B. Du Bois, a seminal work in in both U.S. history, Marxist history, uh, and the history of, of rebellion in general, the history of revolution in general, in my opinion. Um, yes. 
David, uh, I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna let you lead off at the top of the hour. I know you've been reading a lot, so Ooh. I apologize, but um, that's okay. This has been uh, again. This has been a journey. Uh, this has been two years yes. of of reading. This has been a lot of work. Um, we do not have. I, I. I. If we had a one episode synopsis of this book, we'd have probably done it for you. <laughs> Um, but I don't think there is a one episode synopsis of this I book. So I don't th- think there's a way to do that, not just to do it justice, but just to do it. It would breeze by so much. Um, there's too much. There's too much in this book. Um, yeah. Now, uh, so so David, just your overall impressions of the book as as we finish it. I mean, obviously, there was an extreme amount I learned. I came into this with the perception that, of course, racism did it in. And, of course, Reconstruction was good. And, of course, it was taken down by white supremacy. I probably only even had those precursors because of this book and the legacy it has in American history against the backdrop of the very white supremacist history that it pushed back on and heavily critiqued in that last chapter. But even I had some some preconceptions, right? I didn't really realize how deeply of a turn Andrew Johnson had there. Um, I realizing that, that Lincoln wasn't necessarily fighting against slavery, didn't realize how committed the average moderate Republican was against slavery and how much it really did take black people forcing the North's hand by just taking over the army ranks and doing the fighting. Um, you know, I knew racism before and after the Civil War existed in the North, but I didn't know to the extremity some of these marches and pushbacks in New York and, and things like that. I uh, I had a materialist analysis that Northern Capital worked with the planters, but I didn't know how hand in glove it was um, and how hand in glove it was in spite of being, you know, accused of of carpetbaggery and coming in and, and, and descending upon the South and, and plundering it. Um, and, and yet working completely with the South to help, you know, drum up white supremacy. Um, and, you know, some of the other takeaways, you know, whether you knew it or not, you know, the, the, the poor whites being bought into on the side, something you need to remember. And, and it's something we have to remember as, as people in the United States, again, for American listeners, I know not all of our listeners are American, but, um, something that colors biases, right? You can talk all day and it's correct analysis about how if you're not in a very small group of the ruling class, all these structures don't benefit you. They oppress you. But there's ways that you get tangible benefits in spite of being in an oppressed class if you're not in some other oppressed classes, if you're in the oppressor class, right? And whiteness as, you know, white people, settlers, that, that certainly benefits, right? The, the resources of the land, the comforts of, of living, simply not having to look at your parents or your cousins or your neighbor's uncle or your friend down the street and, and realize that they're, you know, a bigoted killer, not having to reexamine your politics, not having to, to really put up a fight when just going by day to day is easier because you're under the heel of the boot, but you're not being pressed on that hard. Um, you know, not having to question why you pledged allegiance to a decorated tablecloth on a stick every day from childhood up to the point where you don't even the words pledge and allegiance, which are very extreme words, are mundane to you. They've lost all their impact because that's just a routine school thing. 
You know, I mean, just not even having to re-examine that stuff is a tangible gain. Consumer goods is a tangible gain. Not having to compete for jobs is a tangible gain. Feeling like you're better than someone else just on on basis of of race when life hasn't offered you a lot of ways to feel good about yourself is a tangible gain. And so even though the net gain from being a worker or poor is is worse for you and you should see your oppression and see solidarity with these other people the average person doesn't see that and will fight and more importantly oppress and kill in the name of those very small tangible gains and and we saw that animate in the poor whites and the clans and the the race riots and and things like that after the war and how well that can be manipulated both by northern capital and by southern planters and how part of manipulating that was working hand in glove with northern capital but positing them as an enemy and a clever way to do that is what makes you different than northern capital northern capital comes from the north you know, those people that beat us in the slavery war. So how dare they? And at least pretends to be on the side of black people. And it, it's very much like Democrats and Republicans today, even with the parties flipped. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, Democrats are bad and they don't care about you. And that's that's a correct statement. But would Republicans say that, that by comparison, that naturally drums up, OK, well, if I'm saying that, and what do I feel? What makes me different than the Democrats? Well, the Democrats play lip service, not even well, just different Democrats on different issues to different degrees play lip service to anti-racism or being anti-war or whatever. And so the most extreme interpretation of that and an assumption that that's what's wrong with the Democrats happens. And that's, again, I get this extremely right wing and extremely fascistic. Uh, Republican everyday belief that will go around and not even they don't care how true it is. They're just happy to say that that Biden's a, you know, an anti-war soy eating communist, whatever the fuck, you know, um, and and we got to see that in action and see how American it is. Uh, I know I came into the book and even in the last chapter, Du Bois cited how important the Panic of 1873 was to collapsing Reconstruction. And of course, we are materialists. But I came in uh, with an outs- with an outsized perspective of how important it was, and it, it was basically a, a footnote, an economic backdrop to it. Um, and so there, there was a lot of things I learned, um, and there's a lot of things I hope our audience learned, and there's a lot of things to take away. Um, it's not the most fun subject. It's the oppression of people, and yet we had fun with it, with I hope not overstepping the bound of taking it too casually or in, in any way inappropriate. Um, there were certainly parts that were hard to read. There were parts that were easier to read. There were parts that were boring to read. There were parts that were brilliantly enlightening. There were parts where Du Bois had, had great digs. It, it's a brilliant book, and it's everything it needs to be. And the importance of it historically, the importance of it to of us to read it and understand it the importance of it to make sure that understanding isn't just oh it's in our head i understand it's good but to actually go out every day and put that into action as we always talk about at the end of the episode um and of course you know the importance of du bois the insane amount of effort he must have taken to to write it and to go out and do that research all cannot be understated no none of it can um that being said, my takeaways from the book, my my 
10,000 foot view down as to what we just did. Um, this is a book of, of sections. This is a book of, of parts. Um, and I think it's important to understand it as such. Um, if I was a layman trying to get this book onto other people in the same way that I was a layman absorbing capital, um, I would suggest different methods for reading this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first 10 chapters or so are insanely engaging. I think what Du Bois does and, and br- draws you into is, is incredibly poignant and, and something that any, any American at least will empathize with and will, will be able to, to receive very easily. I think there is a middle chunk in the same way that Capital sort of had a middle chunk where Du Bois cited his sources. Uh, du Bois basically went, look, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you fight with me. I'm going to cite all of the reasons I'm right. State by state, chunk by chunk, part by part. And he did that eloquently. He did that in a way that I think is is admirable and I think is a, in a way that is engageable as a text. I think you could still read this text front to back um, without having to skip that part. But if I was trying to draw someone in to this work, I would tell them, read the first 10 chapters, skip the parts where you go state by state, and then read the last three or four (laughs) chapters. Only because I feel like, again, you can get the Marxist analysis. It's the same way where Marx essentially was doing his, Marx was doing his job. Marx was citing his sources and showing, look, here are all the ways you cannot refute me. Here are all the ways you cannot dispute with me. Here are all the ways you cannot, you know, say, oh, well, what about this? I, I recited that. Um, it, yeah. is an, it is an eloquent restating of a very mundane topic. Uh, du Bois does the same thing, and I think it is important. I think it's important for anyone that wants to challenge the Reconstruction narrative. If your job is, I want to say that Reconstruction was a failure and it was this and it was that, good. You get to go back and read all of these chapters where we go line by line, item by item, drape by drape. Where did we spend our money? You want to go through that? Awesome. I feel like most leftists can skip that only because I, no go for it david oh i was going to say i i don't think you're on a bad track and i actually was going to draw that a little bit and some good things you said there but i would counter it a touch i would say that Please. that the capital parallels are good and, and it's a little different cuz the the first 10 chapters of this are incredibly engaging the first 10 chapters of capital was the most boring thing i've ever read in my life <laughs> <laughs> but you know coats linen whatever um <laughs> But I, I would say that that there's two things to draw from that. One, piggybacking on what you said by Capital, is there is different readings of this for different people, I understand. So my number one encouragement with this or Capital is if you can suffer through it, take it, read through the whole thing because what is said in there is important and read it front to back in the order it was written because it was written that way for a reason and it builds and is edited well. But, but 
that is not for everyone. That is difficult for some people. So that yes. that beginning before you go the state by state and then jumping to the end is one way to read it. Also, just like Capital, it was what, chapter 26 to 31 or 32? 26 to 32. That's it. 26 to 32. People can just read that and get a summary if they really don't want to go through Capital. Although, again, they're going to get a lot more out of that if they read the whole book. I think the same thing here with the last three chapters. You know, If you really need a summary yeah. of this – they can do the last three chapters the same way they can do 26 to 32 in capital. But again, they're going to get a lot more out of that if they read the whole thing. So that is a, a possibility for some people too, where you say like, if you're going to read this and not read the whole thing, just jump to, I, I'd have to look at the chapter numbers, but the last three chapters, right? Correct. Um, so that's possible. And that's, that's where those are good parallels. The one thing I would counter is that on this one, the, the difference that the benefit you get from reading the whole thing is a it's little immense. more than it's immense. It's, immense. it's a little more. It's a little more than just the prove it because there are some details in there that are just important to understand about American history where I feel. And that's where, like, I feel like even I got an immense, I say even I like a great aligned one, but like, you know, I mean, I got a lot more out of this book than I expected. And I expected to get a lot out of it. Um, you know, but we're not skeptical people on Reconstruction. We were open-minded people approaching this with a general idea that Reconstruction wasn't actually bad or failed. It was defeated by racism, and yet we got quite a bit out of it. So I would say the importance of reading the whole thing, while not necessarily full-on, and you can chunk it, and that's a great parallel with Capital, and you can read it different ways in different chunks for different people like Capital. So that's a good suggestion, and I want to encourage that not totally push back on that the gap from reading the whole thing versus just chunks is a little larger in this book I agree. and so i would i would say the same thing as capital but to a lesser degree does that make sense no it makes 100 percent sense and i again yeah. i don't disagree with you i i would prefer everyone get through this book in the same way i got through it which is no, you know, chapter by chapter yeah but not everyone's gonna get through it chapter by chapter line by line yeah. Um, if there is a point to divert again, the first, so much of this book is engaging. It's definitely the top. state by state thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the state by state thing. And when you get to that, so uh, again, it's when you're, when you're recommending this to others, you have to recognize, I think everyone has to recognize what is my target? What is my goal? If my goal is to open someone's eyes to the abject terror that was slavery and the absolute negligence of leadership that came from Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Johnson, that group. I'm going to recommend this book and I'm going to recommend this book in a couple different sections. I'm going to say, read the beginning, understand what actually happened before the civil war and during the civil war and then read and then read the end, read what happened during Reconstruction. Read what actually was going on on the ground during Reconstruction, and what these people were faced with, and what they what they were were able to to put up with. And then tell me that you hold the same views. If you can get through this book, if you can get through those sections of this book, and still hold imperialist views, or still hold views that Abraham Lincoln was a savior and some sort of some some sort of messiah for the people. I don't know where to help you. Um, 
but yeah. but I think it is very important for any American, at the very least, to read through this book and understand. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we've done. Here's what was done. And here are all yeah. of the important things that have happened up to this point. This is a critical work for any American to read. I, I think this is, and, and I don't want to overstate it. If you're an American leftist, if you're an American pose, and, and again, I don't love the word leftist. I feel like it, it, it suffers from a lot of deficiencies. I yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say it, I, it's not that I hate the word. It's that I hate with the words become because it's it's meant to be inclusive in a way that like there's anarchists and there's anarchists that believe themselves to be anarcho-communists and 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 their comrades and there's anarchists that see anarchism while they're definitely on the communist side and they're definitely comrades they see anarchism as something distinctly different from communism so they say there's communist and anarchist and leftist is supposed to include that but it's somehow picked up not only the quote-unquote anarchists that are just white social Democrats that hate all existing socialism. Um, you know, the, the, the Noam Chomsky type or the people that, that have way too much, you know, Orwell romance for Catalonia and don't care about the global South, but it's also kind of picked up liberals and, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of just been this giant clump. So I, I have issues with the word leftist too, but it, it's original intent is good. I think it's better to stick to communist, but again, that should include anarchists, even anarchists that yes. definitely side with communists and are comrades, but wouldn't use the word communist to describe themselves. But exactly. I, I get what you're saying. So I'm not going to I openly discourage the word leftist on here, but I, maybe I shouldn't. I just I hate how it's been big tented for no reason. Exactly. That being said, this book if you are an American leftist, communist, anarchist, anythingist, uh, is important because I feel like it should open your eyes to what slavery was, how that defined America for a, a, a an obscene length of its existence. This ex- this this project that we're a part of. If you don't understand its history, again, we are. We are we are materialists. We need to understand the, the the conditions on the ground that existed, that have existed, and that exist to this day. And slavery, yeah, is one of the most, if not the most, important condition to understanding America as it exists. Oh, it was it was, and and I think if I remember right, Du Bois kind of touched on it well in this book, even better than than Marx did or, or even could as, as much as Marx was the one that really brought up the historical materialism modes of production and was openly appealing to the liberation of slaves, as we saw in this book with the letters to Lincoln, but also in his works and things, um, is that slavery was really the basis. So we've said it multiple times in this book. We've said it multiple times before. Capitalism is the economic expression and the economic reinvigoration of colonialism, right? You get colonialism, turns into capitalism, gets centralized and turns into imperialism, which is just a new form of colonialism. So it's it's the reproduction of colonialism and also the economic byproduct of it. But you don't go from colonialism to capitalism. You'd never experience that capitalism without slavery across the Americas most specifically the cotton crops of the former Confederate states. 
and and the way that launched industrialization in England. And so it it is not just extremely important. It is probably the most important thing to understand about the modes of production, aside from colonialism itself and capitalism itself, that you could possibly have. And the dehumanization that has come from that and the racism that comes from both colonialism and that slavery is pinnacle to our understanding of combating capitalism and to the liberation of all oppressed masses. Amen. 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 As always, that being said, this has been the last episode of Mark's Madness Pod on Reconstruction in America. Yes. Uh, There are a number of different ways that you can get in touch with us, one of which is through email. Our email is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. The other way you can get a hold of us is on Twitter. We're on Twitter. Our DMs are open. It's at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. Uh, beyond that, if you wanted to be a more active member of our community, if you wanted to join us and, and talk more on a day-to-day basis, the easiest way to do that is through discord. Our discord server is the Mark's madness pod discord. It is linked in our Twitter bio, or we will absolutely send you an email if you would like it that way instead. Um, if there is an easier way to get that discord link, that does not require an email or a Twitter let us know in some way and we'll put it out to you. Um, I, I want to make this as non-restrictive as humanly possible. I just can't think of any yeah. other easier way to access us other than those two methods. Um, that being said, the the link to our Twitter or to our Discord server is in our Twitter bio and it is also available via email if you email us. Um, t- Discord is just a great community. It, it is a group of people that I am proud to be a part of. And I, it has grown. I mean, let's be real. Before we started this book, the Discord community wasn't even ours. It was just a Discord community that we squatted in and were a part of. And since we started this book, it's become fully ours. It's a thing that we're a part of. Um, there will be more theory uh, available podcasts via Discord. We're going to be joining uh, Dumb and Awful. And being a part of a theory corner that they are a part of uh, month on a monthly basis or bi-monthly basis, depending on what we come up with, um, where we read short works of communist theory word for word and then discuss them. Um, so, I mean, a lot of things have come out of Discord, including the book club. Book club is currently reading Caliban and the Witch, which I am a huge proponent of reading for obvious reasons. Uh, they've read Black Shirts and Reds. They've led other books, and they are a, a great group of people that are just very open and very welcome to anyone that wants to join. Um, this is uncomfortable. This is weird. Uh, David, I don't know how we end this one. <laughs> um, I guess. Uh, should I do the disclaimer? I mean... I mean, we're going to do this. We're going to do the disclaimer. The show will just be back next week the way they see it. That's the weird thing. It's like for everybody and for us, we're just going to be back next week. Yeah. But like we we might take we might take a week off. Do some research. But none of you will know it. Like this is just going to come out next week. But this is (laughs) this is a monumental thing 
for yeah. us at the very yeah. least for you me yeah. and everyone listening along on a weekly basis for whatever but, reason but rise you, and grind nathan rise and grind rise and grind time. i guess um <laughs> david give me a disclaimer before we sign off okay yes absolutely one one last time for this book where the disclaimers i think came into play um we will do the disclaimer so many things have changed about our podcast in this book um I think all of COVID happened in this book too. All of it. Um, all of it. All of it. All of it. It'd be weird doing a book. That's not this during COVID next week. I know. Um, so, but with all that, with all that, or, or, or pulling, uh, pulling a Nathan, that being said, um, <laughs> obviously when we started this, we started with the other book that we compared this to, uh, and we have done several between. We didn't just do Capital in this. We've done, you know, Wretched of the Earth. We've done State and Revolution, Imperialism, all kinds of books. We've done some collaborations. But um, when we started all this, it was because Nathan wanted to read Capital. And that, like any book of theory or history, is not something you want to read by yourself. You want to read it in a group, get the most out of it, make sure you understand context and can bounce your ideas off someone. It helps you remember stuff. It helps you understand stuff. Uh, it helps you get what you need out of a book. And so he said, hey, David, you've read Capital before. Let's read it together. And so we did. And knowing that we could record it and maybe share it with other people, we thought our group of two was a little small. Maybe we can bring some people with us. And lo and behold, a few weeks into that, we decided, yeah, I think it was more like a few months. Uh, we decided, yeah, we, we can take these recordings and we can put them out in a podcast and we can grow it. And now, look, you're here with us. Um, and since the beginning, our vision's kind of been, hopefully, whatever party you're in, whatever group you're organizing with, uh, whatever reading group or political education group they have, you're reading these works along with us. And we can be there. We can be another voice in the group. We can be another point of input, another point of context uh, to help you get the most out of these books. Save for that, let's assume that you're doing something like shorter or more applicable to some task you're organizing around at the moment, and you're reading this on your own. Hopefully we can be that reading group. We can help you get the most out of it, help you understand and better remember and better get the context behind something in this book. And save for that, let's say, you know, you're just listening to this as an enhanced ebook, like this two year project was, uh, or you're listening to something that's a little more summarized, like what we did with Capital. Whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you, because we want these works out there guiding your actions. Whenever you animate these works into revolutionary action, uh, that's something called praxis. And without theory, there is no such thing as praxis. Praxis is theory in action, so it cannot exist without theory. And without praxis, this theory is completely useless. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen, as always. Amen forever. This has been the Mark's Madness podcast. We read books. We read this book. That being said, the next time we come to you will be with a history and background of Kwame Nkrumah, the writer of our next book. And if we come to you before then... Or intermediary two or around then, it will be with the works of Glenn Coulthard, writer of Redskins White Masks. All of that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. 
and we will talk to you all next week. Bye.